0: The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Saturday Manager. I'm Mick Pusick, your host and manager of Brighton Roach Reserves, who play in Kent County Division 1 West. Coming up in this week's show, we've got an insightful interview with Tris Cropley, who's assistant manager of Scaffield Premier side, Sutton Athletic. We'll review all the scores and results from our division from Saturday the 18th of February and how they affect this week's standings in the tables. We'll look ahead to next week's fixtures for Saturday the 25th of February. And just for some fun, we'll do some predictions on those fixtures coming up. But let's have a look now over our past week as we prepared for our away game to South East Athletic. We played Southeast East Athletic earlier in the season at home. Um, I actually missed that game with COVID. Believe it or not, it is still a thing, guys. Um, so had to rely on match footage um, to watch that game back on. But for our preparations, we, we were going into the game with greater confidence than we did the first game. The first game actually was a really good result for us. We we came away with a 4-0 victory. Um, we knew that our team has improved since then. Um, the players are starting to gel. Um, we've added one or two players since that time. And recent performances have been very good against teams near the top of the table. So so from our point of view, we knew that if we prepared well and um, took the game seriously and made the right preparations, then there was a good opportunity for us to add to our points on the table. Um, I was actually away. It was half term and um, we visited family. So I was up in uh, sunny North Wales. Head coach Stuart Biggs took the session. Um, The session went well. Uh, It it was a little disappointing. I must say the numbers were very low and uh, I was told we didn't even make double figures. So that was very disappointing to hear. Um, We've been getting really good numbers in recent training sessions. Um, It can happen time for time, but... I hope that it had nothing to do with the fact that who we were playing that weekend because, as we've said to the players, you know, if you don't put in the effort and you don't show up right and ready to play, every team in this division is more than capable of getting a result. And we certainly know that um, South East Athletic had, only the previous week, put four goals past top of the league. They'd recently drawn three or away to Metrocas, who are you know in the mix for promotion, so a very good side. So certainly, you know, we couldn't let our guard down and we couldn't take anything for granted because if they're capable of doing those things against the very top of the league, then they're more than capable of causing, you know, challenges for us as well. Um, So not much more to add on the training, really, other than it was a very disappointing session from my point of view, from the feedback I got on holiday. Um, But moving on to match days, I was back for uh, the game on Saturday. Um, It was away at Long Lane. Originally, we were on the main grass pitch there, which is quite a nice surface, quite a large pitch. We played on that earlier in the season against Long Lane, actually on the first game of the season, um, which we uh, won one nil. So we knew the ground pretty well. Um, subsequently, that was changed to the 3G Astro that they've got there. Um, hadn't played on it before, but had heard that it can be on the it is on the smaller side. So when we turned up, the first thing we did was we had a look at the pitch, and yeah, sure enough, you know. If you can imagine the corner um, positions to the area, there's probably about three metres from the corner to the edge of the box. So, you know, it definitely adds a different dimension to set pieces and plays like that and makes the pitch a lot more com- compact. So it's a lot more difficult to find space and, and move around on compared to the other pitch. Um, but that said, we had a good warm-up on there. We we were all arrived on time for one thirty. We got the lads used to the pitch as much as we could, played some passes around, longer pass, mid-range, cross-field, switches, etc. So they got used to their range. We practiced a few corners just to see how it felt, you know, because because it is so much narrower than our pitch and and other pitches that you would usually play on. So when you're taking corners, um, you know, if you took it like a normal corner, you you could almost knock it out for a throw-in at the other end. So they, they worked on that just to get their range and their pace right on that. Um, They had a really good warm-up. We brought them in as always. Um, You know, we just really wanted to reiterate to the squad that, you know, we really did have to be at 100%. The performance level against Equinocle was really high the week before and everybody put a shift in. And the message really was that, you know, if we match that effort and that intensity, then, you know, with our squad that we've got, the result will be there for us. But if we just think that we can just turn up and we don't have to play because the teams you know not doing so well in the league comparatively to us then we will get turned over we've had we've had that earlier in the season i think you know looking back in, in hindsight when we played crocodilo away um obviously they got the advantage of being on the home pitch but they they really surprised us in the first half and i think part of that was probably the lads were looking at the table seeing that they hadn't won all season up to that point and maybe, psychologically, they weren't quite at it. So we were really keen that there wasn't any complacency in the team before the game or during it. We also mentioned to the players that we'd received an email from the FA, and I think that went out to all the referees um, before last round of fixtures, around dissent and sim bins. And effectively, it was the FA saying that, you know, in the past two seasons, the amount of sim bins had dropped uh, significantly. And it was a good tool to use against, you know, to put players off dissent. Um, so with that in mind, we kind of did say, look, we do expect referees this this week onwards to start seeing a few more simbins coming from the referees. Um, it's normally the way, you know, a new directive comes out or you get reminded on something and something that you didn't see a lot of, then all of a sudden starts becoming commonplace in the game. So we really didn't want to be on the receiving end of that because it really it does make it difficult for you when you lose a player, um, you know, for 10 minutes in the game. So the the conversation there was that only the captain talks to the referees, it should always be. But if anybody did feel that they needed to get a message to the referee or wanted an explanation or anything in the game, then they should ask the captain who can speak to the referee at the right moment. Um so that said, the players went out. The game kicked off. Um, it was a it was a pretty even start, I would say. First fifteen minutes between the two boxes, we probably edged it slightly with chances, um, but it, not a lot. Nothing, nothing major really. There was no big, big chances for us or them. Um, coming up to the 20, 20 minute mark, um, they they had a new signing, I believe. He was playing out um, a bit wide forward, number nine, but playing on the wider bit, and he was he was quite a handful at times, to be honest. He gets the better. He comes in. He he sort of attacks our our left side, gets some space, and puts a really good ball into the box. Uh, Their number ten finds it near the near post, takes a touch, and a very composed finish. So, twenty minutes in, we're we're one nil down. Um, It was probably it probably on chances. It probably was a bit unlucky for us. But I'm sure from their point of view, you know, it was a very well-worked goal, good technique, good strike, good finish and, and good delivery to find him. From our point of view, looking at it, you know, the marking should have been a lot better in the box. The tracking wasn't quite right. So there was things there that we could definitely coach and get a message across for them, you know, for future games, how we can deal with those kind of balls and that situation better. Um, we kick off. We we actually woke up a bit from that, I think. we We looked a lot more threatening. Um, we um, took a ball in into midfield i 'm trying to think now, I think it was our um number seven uh Jack Kitchen on the day took the ball down well in round the area and just played a straight ball into um our ten um Michael Kolawale, who was our captain back from injury, and he basically took it ever so well he 's turned he 's made the space between the two center backs. He's come into the box, the keeper's come out and made himself big and he's not rushed his shot. He's kind of very composed, head down, he's took an extra touch, took another touch, keeper's come out to him and then just as the keeper stepped again to sort of close him down, he's just slotted it low, nutmegged the keeper um, near post, really composed, finished, gets us back to one all. Um So that was about three minutes after. So we're, we're back in the game very quickly, um, you know, heads are up again and, and, and we're off. Um, about two or three minutes after that, um, we get a corner and the corners had been difficult, as I mentioned earlier, with the distance and the range. Um, very switched on to it. Um, our forward number nine, Pat Ward, um, took a very quick corner kick, uh, played it to uh, the winger and then made a movement off of him. That caught him out a little. And basically, we, we then returned the ball to Pat, who was just on the edge of the box by the throwing line, really. So it was a bit of a diagonal. And he's just chipped in a lovely ball right into the penalty spot with pace on it. Um, Again, Michael's met the ball, jumped up, headed it and slotted it bottom corner. So really well worked corner, um, really good delivery and an assist and a really good header um, to to beat the keeper because the keeper is very tall. He's he's got long limbs and he's a very good shot stopper um, and he's been doing well up to that point. Um, So we're 2-1 up, Um, heads are up now and then we're kind of looking at them because we know that South East of Leeds haven't had the best of runs of late. And, you know, we were quite interested to see how they would then react to going a goal down. And, and credit to them, they kept on playing their game. You know, they didn't, they didn't buckle. They kept working away. They kept working away. Um, all the way up to about the 35th minute. And we scored our third goal, um, which was um, an excellent finish from Pat Ward, who's kind of our regular scorer now. I think he's scored every game in February, and his record's almost a goal a game, so he's a very prolific scorer. Um, the goals are up. The highlights are up on and Ropes Reserves Twitter, so have a look. You can see all the goals there in a nice little highlight reel done by our media lady, Summer, so thanks for that, Summer. But the finish is excellent. I mean, he's, he's running to the box, and the defender's done everything right in a way. They've kind of pushed him wide, pushed him wide, and he's sort of right out level with the six yard box is that far over and almost inside the six yard box so there's no angle at all and he's just struck it and it's just beat the keeper Bot far corner hit the like the inside of the post and the net in um absolute brilliant shot i mean the precision the clinicalness of it was was amazing so really excellent finish to the half there we come in 3-1 And uh, the conversation then is a lot easier. We're just talking to the guys about, you know, being compact, doing all the defensive things that we'd worked on in training in recent weeks. You know, it's our game now, you know, 3-1 up at half time. But that said, we we did say to them, you know, they are going to battle for it. Every point's important for them. So we've got to go out and really keep the intensity up and and push for the next goal because the next goal is going to be important. You know, 4-1, you know, really, you should see that game out. But if they get the next goal, 3-2, all of a sudden, all that good work we've done um, and you're back in a real battle of a game. So we kick off, um, three or four minutes in, our centre-back's chasing the ball out. And as he's gone to clear, he's kind of got a foot on the ball. Their forwards um, took his standing leg. So our our defender's gone over. That's my view of it anyway. And I think the the video footage I looked at backed that up at the time. Um, But unfortunately, the referee gives a corner. And you know what it's like. Whatever team you support, when there's a corner that you feel shouldn't be a corner, they're they're the most dangerous ones. So just as the corner goes, the wind picks up. I mean, literally, it's a it's a it's a blowing gale towards the goal. Um, they've hit an in swinger um, because of the distance mentioned earlier. You know, it's really easy to swing the ball in, and and it's pretty much going straight in. I think we managed to get a header on it. One of our defenders got something on it and then our other defender's kind of tried to hook it out and where he's hooked it out it, he's hooked it straight into the roof of the net so from um being in a nice position at 3-1 all of a sudden we're 3-2 and it's and it's game on uh, the the lads settled down after that you know it was a bit of a, it was a freak goal it was early in the half so things can happen so it didn't it didn't affect our mentality or the way we were going about the game we just got back onto it um we had a few good chances after that, immediately after that, and then there was a, a big opportunity. So we, we've come in, from what I remember, there was a bit of a, uh, we have put the ball into the box, the keepers come out, and I think the South East Athletic defenders come across as well, and I think they've got in a bit of a tangle with each other, and the ball's broken loose. Um, our winger on his debut, Cameron, he, he's actually switched. He's gone from right wing over to left wing to pick the ball up. He's done really well, read the danger, got the ball, and just slotted it in. So, within probably five minutes, I'd say, of them getting to 3 2, we're, we're back to 4 2. Um, the goalkeeper's obviously not happy with something, not quite sure what it was, whether or not he thought it was our player impeding him rather than one of his own, or there was something going in there. But from 50 yards away, it's very hard for us to to really get a gauge of what what the issue was but whatever it was he 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 didn't let it lie and he and he kept on um persisting with the referee and unfortunately for him he he fell foul of the uh, simbin um regulation and was um sent off for 10 minutes so they were down to 10 men um they brought on a keeper so he, he wasn't in that field they actually had a a sub-keeper on the bench, which um, meant that they weren't overly weakened by that, other than their numbers. They changed their shape a bit. Um, We kept pushing, um, trying to take advantage of the 10 men and having the extra player. It didn't really happen. I mean, to be honest, looking at it, we couldn't really tell that we had an extra man at times. We didn't really use him that well. And I'm sure that's partly due to the pitch. The size of the pitch made it very difficult to um, find any space, really, you know, it was it was a very tight it was a very tight surface to play on um but that said we we managed to get the ball through our left winger um Josh Edwards he he's popped in and uh he's there to to finish a nice ball into the box to put us 5-2 up which was around about the 65th minute um and then from there the game was pretty even 50-50 all the way through i would say there wasn't a lot difference between the teams, between the two boxes, really, from, from the edge of their box to the edge of our box for the whole game, it was a fairly even match. You know, both teams cancelled each other out. Um, the difference on the day was I think our keeper was absolutely excellent. So um, big shout out to Reese there. He's handling so good. He's very calming in the box. Um, his decision making's top draw and, he, and he's a really smashing shot stopper. So from our point of view, that that was a bonus for us. And I think in the other box, our, our forwards were just a little bit more clinical with Michael and Pat and um, the wingers finishing, you know, effortlessly. I think we had more goal for it. And that was, that was the difference maker at the end of it. But um, it certainly was a, an even game other than those two areas. So, you know, I think they're doing a lot of good work there and I'm sure that their, their progress will continue. So next up, I'll be interviewing Tristan Cropley, who is manager of Sutton Athletic, who play in Scaffold Premier Division. Hi, right, we're now welcome to the show, Sutton Athletic first team coach, Tris Cropley. Tris, welcome. How are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. Mike, how are you?
0: Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, it's been a while, obviously, for some of the more recent listeners. You, you were the original podcaster for this show, weren't you? Many moons back.
1: Yeah, it was in black and white.
0: <laughs> so welcome back. It's great to catch up thank with you. It. I know, obviously... A lot's happened since we've um, since you've last been on here. You were well in town at the time, weren't you, with the reserves? Um, yeah. And now you're coaching all the way up in Skeffil, which uh, Prem, which is uh, step five, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've got step five. Yeah, um, seems to be a bit of a bit of a journey. We've had the the COVID apocalypse in, in between as well, which obviously hampered a lot of football. But uh, no, I've been at Sutton now. This is my second season. Um, got promotion last season via the playoffs which was a fantastic experience and uh, I think we're sitting mid-table at the minute in, in the league above which for a, a club the size of certain Athletic is a huge achievement.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. I've been following the results um, of a lot of because our first team now, you know, we're the reserve team here. We're Kent Division 1 but our first team are in the division below you. So, we yeah. try and keep an eye on all the results and stuff like that and I see you guys are, are going really well. So, moving... Just stepping back then, just to fill in the gaps a little bit, then. So last time you was on running this show, you were managing Wellington town reserves, and that was probably mm-hmm. about what four seasons, three or four seasons ago, maybe with COVID.
1: Yeah, so it was the back end of the 2018-2019 season, sort of the last full season. Um and then I went over to um Bride and Ropes and uh supported right, yeah. there for the last the last ten games of the season with junior. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're bottom or bottom two. And we ended up finishing about ten points clear of of the relegation spot. So quite a successful ten game sprint. I think we did seven unbeaten in the last ten. So that was really really good and positive. Got mm-hmm. to meet obviously Clive and Teresa, who you know really well from, do, from yeah. uh, Friday. Storm And still um, and chairman,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And it was all it was all really positive. And then I got a phone call from Welling saying, "Look, would I come back as assistant manager?" Um, and, and kind of do things my way, which which was good. Um, so so I, this I was coming to... back.
0: So you left there as a reserve team manager, and this was an opportunity to go back with their first team, who were uh, Skeffil as well. So that's, yeah, Skeffil that's Pram. So
1: yeah, yeah, and obviously knowing been at the club for for a couple of seasons and, and knowing the players and obviously the chairman etc. So that was the that was the aim, and we started pre season, and that was the first pre season of the kind of COVID era. So mm. I was organising for us to train at. Um, Bexley Grammar, um mm. when you were allowed to, to train in more more than groups of so six, so we were training five nights a week.
0: I can remember those days well. In. You kind <laughs> of had like every other day, six guys training in groups, sanitizing cones and goalposts before and after sessions. It was it was madness, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was like a revolving door at uh, Bexley Grammar that summer just to get everybody in, uh, get them up to the fitness. Uh, and get ready for the first set of friendlies. Um, so we we're in a good place. Um, and then for personal reasons, um, which I won't go into, but personal reasons, it didn't work out. Um, and So I decided to leave. Um, I decided to leave Welling. And uh, I had a really good relationship with Daryl um, over at uh, Forest Hill. Daryl Queen is the manager over there. He does a great job. And I just rang him up and said, "Look, you're looking for a coach." And he said, yeah, absolutely. And he he knew I had an eye for a player because he'd taken three of the Welling Tower boys that weren't selected by the first team manager um, Mm. to play for them. And then they went on to be really successful. So he he knew I had an eye for a player. So uh, I joined the coaching team and and spent the season there.
0: Brilliant. So with the coaching then, obviously, just to jump back a little bit further then, so with Welling and that, getting into it initially was that through because you're you're quite a young man now and you was even younger then when you started so was that through choice or was it your playing career finished sooner than you hoped or
1: um a lot sooner than i hoped so uh, i retired at the ground at the age of 23 um oh. so i came up through the derby youth academy until i was 17 i got let go the usual in the 90s i was tiny i think i'm only about five foot six now so you can imagine me at as a team um so got that go and then just spent a year as a bit of a ringer have boots will travel so I played for Saturday sides and Sunday sides and just sort of <clears throat> went around playing football for fun mm-hmm. and then had the opportunity to go off and play in Scotland so I went up to Dumbarton here in the Scottish the old Scottish third division League two in Scotland now That's um, a really
0: good level. Uh, really yeah yeah good
1: level. and yeah. Uh, yeah. It was interesting because they were like, well, do you want to... Because I was only 18 at the time. Do you want to play in the under-21s, uh, reserves, etc.? And I'm like, I'm not here for that. I'm here for, to play in the first team. So mm. went up there and, and trained with them and uh, played a couple of games, mainly off the bench, played against Cowden Beef, played Leven, um, played against Berwick Rangers. So I had a bit of a go, but I was just plagued with injury. Mm. So I, I dislocated my knee the first time when I was just turned 16. Mm-hmm. And... I, I've done it several times since then. So um three three dislocations of the left, two of the right, and uh, I was just constantly fighting against fitness to get back in. Um and then they just said look, we we can't we can't offer you another deal because you won't fit the the insurance. Um if anything yeah. happens the club's liable and obviously the cost of rehab, etc. is really expensive. So at pro clubs you get a lot of support, but sort of semi-pro clubs you you can't, just the mm. financial reasons. So the doctor in Glasgow said it's probably best I don't play again. And that was I was about twenty-one, and I was a bit like, "No, nah, that's not that's not me." So I uh, I ended up at Spalding United. So um, my family originally from South Lincolnshire, and mm-hmm. um, I spoke to the youth development officer, and he was like, "Come on down," kind of thing. So oddly enough, I got off the train. I was on the offline Flying Scotsman and uh, got down to to Spalding and uh, walked in with my briefcase—not a briefcase, my suitcase—and some money, all dressed very smartly. Watch the reserves play and then signed for them straight away after that. And then
0: oh, played for them
1: the following week, played for them against Wisbeach Town the following week.
0: So where, where did you used to play? What was your main position in those days?
1: So at the end of my career, I was a left winger, but I started okay. off as a left back. I was a right footed left back. Um, and then because of one, one week, one knee was dodgy. I'd practice with the other. So by the end of it, I was two footed. So um, I used to take penalties left-footed just to throw goalkeepers out because yeah. I think we've all seen that left-footed penalty takers just seem to be a bit better. It's the body shape that sort it's of throws goalkeepers of, So Yeah, so once you can cross and, and shoot with your left foot, you're kind of in them. So. Um, and I was one of those left-backs in the day where you they didn't cross the halfway line. And uh, even at Derby as a youth, I, I think I got 11 one season from left-back and they're like, right, I'm going to put you on the wing. And then 3-5-2 was the formation, so that ended up playing left wing-back for the second uh, year I was there as a scholar
0: oh fantastic so moving on then you, you kind of got to 21 then you had a few injuries and you've made your way back to sporting and you carried on playing there for a couple of seasons yeah eventually... so they're in
1: there's sort of their step three step four uh, it got to the stage where the knee was that bad I would play on a Saturday and I just couldn't play or train during the week mm. so I'd be I'd be sitting in the bar after a game with like a drink and a, a pack of ice on the knee in the bar, and uh, all week I'd go to a sponsorship the uh, LA Fitness. Uh, I used mm-hmm. to go sit in the hydrotherapy bath three nights a week uh, after work, just rest the knee against the jet, and then be ready again for the Saturday. This just got out of control, and I met my wife, who you know, and she's like, "You can't, you can't do this. Like, mm-hmm. you basically can't walk for a week just so you can play on a Saturday, mm-hmm. and then the whole thing starts again." So. Mm-hmm. 23, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I went and had a cartilage transplant in Belgium where they uh, sent my cartilage off and, and brought it back and and did an experimental operation on my knee, which didn't work.
0: Oh, what a shame, what a shame. So then, yeah. was it around that time that you started thinking about getting into coaching? Obviously, you've got a love of football. And, um, you know, when your career does finish that early, it can kind of go one or two ways. Either you, you look for something completely different or you've still got that sort of ambition to have success in the game in one form or the other. Um obviously very young at 23. Was there a little gap there before you decided that's what you wanted to do, or was it something that you looked at pretty quickly?
1: Yeah, I was kind of in a bit of a mourning process, a bit like when I left uh, left Derby. So 23, a bit sort of set up with football, still having operations, still going to see the specialist every six months, being poked and prodded, etc. So I think I was carrying on having operations till about twenty seventeen, so a way after after finishing. So I was a bit disgruntled with football and then one year my wife for my birthday, which is on New Year's so a sort of a birthday and Christmas deal is I got driving lessons and um the old David Beckham Academy in Greenwich. I got my coaching badges. So oh, I went fantastic. there and did did my level one and then my level two and that kind of reignited my sort of passion for, yeah. for coaching.
0: Great little facility that was. I remember they used to do goalkeeping um academies there as well. And um, my son Callum's a goalkeeper, as you know. And uh, yeah. as a teenager like 12, uh, 14, <clears throat> I used to take him there all the time. Such a great facility. I, I you know, it was a, it was surprising when it to see it going at the end, really, wasn't it? I thought there was definitely a market for it.
1: It's a fantastic facility. So for those that don't know, it was two two full size football pitches under a dome set to naught degrees so that you if you got an injury it didn't swell. Um, It had like a nutrition room, fitness, stats, everything there. Mm. And coaches would go and teams would even play in there. But they had to deal with like um, Mitsubishi and Aldi and all that. And they would go around and pick kids up from the schools in the minibuses and take them there. And they did after school clubs and Saturday clubs. So it was really about community. But also they did all the coaching education. So it was a real loss. I mean, if you Mm. drive past the site now, I used to work there. This is a 17 story flat where that used to be so that's a real shame for the community it was great wasn't
0: it because it came with a big you know fanfare and david came down and kind of done it It was all in the press but it was very good like you say it was um really top class facilities for local people stuff that you wouldn't normally get access to so it did a really good job for the community didn't it
1: it was like having a a premier leagues facilities it was like a preempt to st george's park really yeah yeah, uh, so, uh yeah. in in burton it was it was state of the art but it was accessible like the local yeah. kids could
0: use it so yeah exactly that's right. a real like, shame, but... yeah, we used to go there our, our son done <clears throat> um, goalkeeping classes there and it was like you know an hour or so or whatever it was like 10 a week so it was affordable you know it wasn't ridiculous money so you could definitely do it so that was great so that's where you got your so you did your back-to-back your level one and your, and your level two coach in there so you mm-hmm. pretty much you've got all the ground in there and obviously from an FA point of view, obviously being playing at a high level and being around coaching all through your youth going up to 23, you'd have probably picked up quite a bit of knowledge anyway, just, you know, taking notes and you you sort of do absorb um, management cultures and ideas when you're in the dressing room, don't you? It sort of does rub off a bit, but you've got the official kind of credentials as well now. So what was your, where did you go from there?
1: I had a very brief and unsuccessful period at a uh, team in your division. I won't name them,
0: um,
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was there for a few weeks. And I, I've got a habit of uh, beating a team based at Thamesmead and then getting a the sack, and that's what happened. So we'd beaten right. the original Thames, the original Thamesmead town in a yeah. pre-season friendly, and uh, I got sacked the next day. And then and the, the, the feedback I got from the channel was that my methods were too advanced for a Div One Kent County League size. Oh right, so um, I was like, oh okay, because you won. <laughs> no, I think it's just the methodology. I mean, uh, no, I understand. Like, you know, I just a... being, yeah, yeah, sorry,
0: I was just being flippant. It's just you know, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it, when they say you, you, you know, it's too sophisticated. The players aren't understanding it, but you've been there a week and, and you've beaten a good side. So obviously, something's yeah. getting through to them. Yeah.
1: I think the age thing happened as well. And that's like if there's any young coach listening, like I totally get it. I mean, I have been that twenty five year old trying to tell a thirty-two year old what to do. And um at twenty-five I looked at about twelve. So mm-hmm. it, it it's tough. And if you are not played at the highest level, I mean, you can get ex pros that come out of the game like your Gerards and Rooneys and Lampard, although they've not had the best success in management, but they take their C V and their reputation with them into their first job. But mm-hmm. if you're twenty five and you've played at a good standard in a different country and nobody's ever heard of you, then they're looking at a kind of 25 year old that's trying to get to do stuff that you've never done before um mm. so that was that was a challenge and it's great experience i mean you can get any certificate badge what you want but you never beat the experience of managing yeah. people by actually doing it and i thought I, I what was odd in my in my professional life i started line managing people in, in my mid-20s and uh people used to complain about colleagues that are in their 50s and then say can you go get your manager and then little me comes along at 23 24 and i'm the manager <laughs> of like a 50 year old so yeah. i kind of it, the, the two went really well has sort a of hand in hand i learned that experience of managing people at different levels
0: yeah absolutely i mean with um the management side and the age side of things it can people can kind of judge a book by a cover and get it wrong you know yeah. but i think you're absolutely right about the playing experience as well. You know, you can, and it, this isn't anything against grassroots. You know, because that's what we all are, and, and we and, and what we and we love it. But you know, when you are coaching, it is difficult if you've never played the game at all at any level. You don't have to be a Beckham or a Gerrard, but if you're somebody that's just coming in from never played football at school or never played for a team, and then you do a you know you do a badge and you do a course, then it, of course it gives you the kind of credentials and the background on it, but it's always going to be a bit more difficult for you than comparing it to somebody that's been in the dressing room, that's played football and understands not just the, the written rule of it, but they actually understand the game, if you know what I mean. Mm.
1: Yeah, and experience experience. If somebody's got 500 games playing Scaffold Prem and somebody's got two games playing Scottish Division 2, then mm. the person with the 500-odd games has got the more experience. So yeah. it's, it's not about that. And I think with this generation, you're seeing... Coaches come through at the professional levels that haven't played at the top level. Mourinho, Klopp, etc. Graham Potter played okay at a decent level. But you've got managers now where it's not about ex-pros going into the jobs. It's people that have worked at academies and they've actually been spotted. I mean, there's a there's a trend at the minute for sort of German under-23 managers coming into the Premier League. So it's almost that they want people that can spot a youngster and develop a youngster into a man and then develop them. So that's coming at the top end. And, and hopefully that kind of comes in uh, sort of air at grassroots.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's a little <laughs> bit of an insight then into how you first come into coaching and and where it all started for you. And then we've all, we've touched on the fact that you, obviously uh, a couple of seasons ago, when you was on the podcast, you were a well in reserve, and we've brushed through. So you you've kind of got up to um, was it Forest Park? You were saying was the Forest Hill. Forest Hill was where you were at Skeffil. And then yeah. how, did the, how did that season there go for you?
1: And I mean, it was a challenging season um, in terms of league position, but we did get to a cup final. So we got to the London Senior Trophy final over in Barking. Uh, we lost to Elmstead um, 2-1. Really good game. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where if it had gone to extra time, who knows? Um, mm-hmm. They scored two really early goals. We got one back. We uh, had two penalties, scored one, missed one and then obviously ran out of time. So who knows what could have happened but we've got runners-up medal um, and, and the, the squad developed but one of the things Darryl's absolutely famous for is developing players. So a lot of those players no longer play for Forest Hill. I mean, there's a few now that are at one's at Sheppey, one's at Barking. They're playing at about step four sides yeah. now because yeah. they get that opportunity. And as you know, South London's a hotbed of talent. So around Lewisham and Greenwich and a lot of good young players and if you can play for a kind of a Forest Hill or even a Bryden, and you get spotted then that's a great ground for going in at step four or five um, because you've, you've got that experience again so yeah, that that was the thing so it was a success in the terms that we got to we got to a cup final sadly we didn't win it um, but no it was a, it was a good season mm. um, and then at the end of the year it just made a decision in terms of but you hear a lot of that game models which really is how people like to play football, and I think for a coach and assistant particularly, you, you you kind of need to have that agreement of how you want to play.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: as an assistant, you probably have a ten fifteen percent input. You can you can offer an opinion. I would say it's a job of options. I give the manager options. He either takes them or leaves them. It's my job to think, come up with more options. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you, you kind of have to then decide to go to a club where. The way they play suits the way you play, because mm-hmm. um, then there's less. That fifteen percent has more of an impact, and also um, you enjoy it, and you kind of you can see the same things, and you're looking for the same types of player.
0: Absolutely, and I think it, it, it's very true. I mean, it's, people talk about football ideology or, or philosophy, and you know, it's the, the relationship between the assistant coach and, and and the manager is you know is a very key one. And if, you, if it is aligned, you know, if you do kind of see the game the same way and you've got similar thoughts on how it should be played, philosophy-wise, then it does make that relationship a lot easier, doesn't it? You know, because you are kind of pulling in the same direction. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And that helps with everything from retainment of players, management, everything. Like, you're you're all saying the same thing because you, you see the same direction. Um, yeah. And it, it's your job to have an opinion and then back the manager. So if, if he then disagrees with you you have that kind of United front. And what's also good in the kind of role is players will tell you stuff so that maybe they won't tell the manager or the way anyway, the manager doesn't want them to tell them. And then you can, you kind of can be a bit more of a friend or at least an ear um, yeah. in, in certain circumstances and, and sort of talk about reasons why. And um, and it's a kind of an opinion based and I'll do a lot of the analysis stuff as well. So that differentiates the two roles. and I think you've got to have that differential because you will yeah. drive yourself mad if you don't.
0: Absolutely. So with that in mind then, you, you were kind of having a little look around to see what other opportunities might be there for you for the for the following season. How
1: did yeah, that so well, I spoke to a couple of people, um, I won't name everybody, but uh, they spoke very highly of Sutton Athletic and I saw that they looked at the coaches. I spoke to the chairman for about an hour, I spoke to the manager for about an hour and then I went down and, and took a session pre-season and they said, Basically, crack on designer sessions. So I did, and the lads bought into it, and I, I built those relationships, and and we went from there. What's What's really good about the club is it is a family club. So chairman, the the secretary, players, coaches, people that help behind the scenes, all seem to be related or have played for each other and uh, have that kind of history and connection. It's a it's a fantastic family club, but also the style of play. So certain are renowned for wanting to play football, play out from the back, playing through the thirds um, and letting players sort of show what they're about and and be able to have that freedom in play. And sometimes that works out fantastic. We score some great goals and sometimes errors happen, but we give them that freedom to do that. So knowing that they were looking for a coach, it just made sense in terms of how I like to play football and how they like to play football. Mm -hmm. So it it was a good fit, really.
0: So that was the that was one season ago was that? So that was that 21 22 when you went over. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. so I say so we coming up to the end of my second season now. so it's the beginning of the, the first season. Um okay. and we just got we just got off to a flyer.
0: Yeah, so so going back then you were in Scaffold Division 1, is that right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Skeffoul Division 1 and uh I think we won our first six games. Um and it was just that momentum. Um obviously beginning of the year particularly with the weather and the pitches and Covid it was let's get as many games in the summer months as possible so it was Saturday, Wednesday Saturday, Tuesday a couple of clubs we play have their midweek game on a Monday night so we had a few Saturday, Monday Saturday, Tuesday Saturday, Wednesday so a a lot of games
0: it?
1: it certainly is and obviously it's peak holiday season so my preference is this year we didn't have so many games in August, we had more in September, and that suited mm-hmm. absolutely fine because people are away, etc. Mm-hmm. So but um yeah, we were winning like it was really funny, I think I said at the time, we're this team that has to score four to win a game because it was like four three, four two, four three, four one. It was like the first four games. It was like yeah. can we can we like win a game one nil kind of? Thing,
0: they're trying so. to they're trying to give the coaches uh heart attacks, aren't they? That's what it is.
1: I <laughs> know, oh, and it was like And quite a few was coming from behind. Um, Even in the the FA bars, I think New Haven, we were 2-0 down after 10 minutes and 3-2 up after 22 minutes. And then we won 4-2. But it was like, what's going on here? But we always felt, particularly at home, and we went five days short of a year at home without losing a game in the league. So the home was a bit of a fortress. Um, And and you've been there. It's it's a wide pitch and it suits our style of football.
0: Yeah, it's a big pitch. I've been up there a couple of times this season for the cup games, I think normally, because uh, yeah. you know, we, we, we we train and play Wednesdays and Saturdays. So whenever you've got a Tuesday game this season, we've popped up to, to watch. And you're right, that, that family feel does come across, you know, from when you step foot into the clubhouse to the support outside, you know. Both times I've been there, see the same faces and they're all, you know, friendly and enjoying the football. So, yeah, I, I can really uh, relate to what you're saying. With that, so six games in, then you couldn't really ask for a better start. Six six wins, and you know, obviously, goes without saying. Unless something someone's having an even better start, you're top of the league, and looking forward to build it build into the middle part of the season. I guess um, that's kind of like where things can go a little bit wobbly. I've coached teams before where we've come out flying, um, we play. We we also like to play out the back and play through the thirds. And what we found at our level, which is much much lower than yours at the time, is that the pitches are alright in August and September. They're quite firm, and you can pass the ball around and play play it to feet. And and you're really good, and you can outclass the opponents. But you get to like October, November, and then the pitches become a bit muddy. The boxes become waterlogged, and all of a sudden, it kind of lends itself to the teams that are more, di- better, more direct. So I call it kind of anti-football. You know, it's like centre-back to centre-half, headed it, goal kind of thing, which I don't like to watch. But, you know, if it works, you know, I guess it is it is about results. But So how did you find that next step in the season um, once the summer was over?
1: I'm a big believer in playing to the environment. And I'm a big believer that teams should know how to win on their home pitch, which I think we, we kind of do it. As like I said, we went a year uh, in the league without losing almost. But... We played teams even at, at Scaffold Prem where the pitch is maybe on a slope or there's a, there's a team where the pitch is is tiny. It reminds me of Highbury uh, back in the day. Mm. And a side will play four four two on it and there's just no space. So teams like that that have a kind of environmental factor should be good at playing on it. So if you're a team that plays like yourself on 3G, you probably should be better on 3G than teams that never play on 3G unless they come to you. So knowing how to win on your home pitch I think is key. And then anything you can pick up away from home. So um, most of our defeats last year were away from home uh, on different pitches against different styles of teams. But it's about managing the environment. So there was a team this season who, I mean, it was like monsoon weather in January, wasn't it? Towards the back yeah. end, we had quite a That's few good. games. And we had a, a midweeker away and the team that we played against was pretty much 4-2-4, left four high and just played possessions and just got the ball in our box a lot and that, that eventually pays off if you if you put pressure in that's why it's called percentages the percentage mm. is that if you stick a hundred balls in the box three of them might go in if you only stick yeah. three in the box none of them are going in that's so uh, and, and that's that's that kind of adaptability but I think over the year I think we've got better at it and also recruiting players is absolutely key so if you want to adapt the way you play, yes you can do it but like yourself you only get an hour hour and a half a week to train
0: yeah
1: uh, and one week you could be at home. And then you get a cup game and they go, no, actually, you're away now. So it's very hard to be ready for the next team eh? in terms of like getting the reserves to play the same way against you or looking at certain things because the fixtures can change. So it's about being able to adapt. And one of the best ways of doing that is to to bring in players. So last year, I think one of our successes was that we we added key players at key times throughout the Mm -hmm. team. So I think we added two defenders and three midfielders during the autumn winter. And oh. then come January, come January, we had what I would class as more men in the side. Yeah. Um. So we've got good technical players, got good young players, but actually having a spine of men that can play football, but also won't be intimidated by yeah. sides that may be a bit more physical, a bit more direct. Yeah, so
0: seasoned experience through the spine of the team to kind of toughen it up a bit, I guess. Really for that for those kind of encounters. Yeah, and a bit of nerves as well. So
1: I mean, yeah. when you when you've got a lot of possession, you've got young technical players, and it's. A nice day, the weather's nice, pitch is nice. You can keep the ball away from opposition, but when it's a bit more of a a slog, an aerial yeah. battle, then you yeah. you need some seasoned people that can that can deal with that. And, and we had those, and uh, and that was the difference, really, adding so, players at key times throughout the season.
0: So, so you you adapted and you brought players in to to keep the push going. So going into the through the winter months, and how was the? Season shaping up. Were you still in contention? Were you still in the top positions?
1: So we was in the top two for the whole year. Um, okay. I think once we once we were third, but hmm. you get into like get games in hand, etc. But it was between ourselves and um, Stansfield who who won the league. It was yeah. kind of first and second. They had a great run in the Vars. They got to the quarterfinals yeah. of the FA Vars. So they had wow. quite a few games in hand, and we we kind of have this thing about don't lose back to back and um, don't let a team do the double over you. And last yeah. year, nobody did nobody did the double over us and we only lost back-to-back once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was two, two away games um, at Kent Football and Rochester, both midweekers. Um, And, and that six points, I mean, it, it may or may not have made a difference, but after that week, it was February. There was no mm-hmm. catching in field yeah. after that. And then we kind of hit a wall in terms of injury. So for the last four games, I mean, we went to Lewisham one night on a Tuesday and... We had two wingers at full-back, a right-back at centre-back and like a bare 11 because we had so many injuries piling up. And we knew we were in the playoffs. We weren't going to win the league. So it was almost resting players. The The physio, was Luke, was outstanding. He was probably the busiest, most important man at the club in that last month. But it, it worked because for the last game of the season, we beat Snoddlin 3-0 at home, won the playoff semi-3-0 and then won the playoff final. So... It, it worked. So for the last month of the season, we weren't at our best. I think we had a 3-3 and a 4-4 at home. But then going into the playoffs, we were the strongest we've been since probably September, October and managed to get the job done.
0: Oh, wow. Fantastic. So you've got, when you get to the end of the season then, you've got top two. Automatic promotion is just the top, top, top position. So kind of tough really, isn't it? when you? Been that dominant and played that well for the whole year, not to go straight up by, by right. Was there quite? I mean, not talk up, talking about the other teams in any in, in any way, but was there quite? Did you notice there was a gap between kind of yourselves and and Stansfield and the and the sides kind of below that, or were the third and fourth place teams nipping away and pretty close and in the mix as well?
1: It was it was one of those where the top four was pretty much decided. From about February, but it was in which order? Stansfeld was going to win it, but it was who's was going to finish second and third, and who was going to finish third and fourth, and then the fifth place was between Bryden and Tooting Beck. Going into the last day, uh, I think Bryden needed to win and Tooting Beck lose, and they both ended up losing, which was heartbreaking for for Luce and the team over yeah. at Bryden um, because they must have come off the pitch and gone, yeah, oh, they, they lost as well. So we ended up with two in, in the in the first game of the playoffs. But, yeah, in, in previous years, it was either top team up automatically, second team across the country, because that's the thing when you get into steps, that it's not always about what's happening in your region. So um, in previous years, Wellington when they went up, uh Air from Belvedere went up as well as the best second place team at Step 5 yeah. across the UK. Yeah. And then the year after, it, they let four go up because of the restructure from scaffold one to the Prem. And then this year was the first year of the playoffs. So all the all the teams got to vote on it. And traditionally, certain would finish sixth or seventh each year. So as you can imagine, we voted for the playoffs. And then when you're second for most of the year, you're like, oh, I wish it was top two. Hmm. But I mean, they, they say it in pro football, and I kind of agree as a coach now, but not as a fan. If you're going to get a promotion, then playoff final wins are are the way to do it. And in the pro game, you get to go at Wembley. Um, in the semi-pro game we we were at home which was nice we had about 506 people through the door
0: wow and it was a really good
1: yeah Yeah, really good atmosphere and and that so as a Lincoln City fan I hate the clubs because we've lost them five years in a row we've never won eight of them that we've been in so uh, it was nice to actually be involved in a side of
0: it. so it must have been a, a huge celebration at the end of that and then obviously looking forward to the current season um which is, had you have Sutton been up in Step Five before? Is it their first time?
1: No, first time. So the club's birthday this year, one hundred twenty-five years old. Yeah, um, and it's the highest position the club's ever been in.
0: Amazing.
1: Um, so, fantastic opportunity. I mean, we've we've had a couple of runs in the FA Cup preliminaries and the FA Vars, but mm-hmm. never played at Step Five. So this is their first year at the level.
0: Fantastic. And so coming in, in then to the pre-season going up to this pre-season now um, with the promotion did you look at the squad was there changes that were needed or was it just a case that I know players tend to whether you want to keep them or not at this level they they can kind of move around quite freely don't they because they're not mostly not contracted players still are they
1: yeah none of ours are some, some clubs in their league have contracted players and, and there's pros and cons to it um, and particularly if they're a good young prospect um, then or oh, they're absolutely key you've got some players that are our ex-pro strikers playing for clubs in our division that are on contracts. But no, it, I mean, we looked at the squad. So what we do every year is look at it, look at positions, look at what we need, etc., cetera. Um, and then we review it again in November. And That's kind of what we did last year and, and this year. So we, we kind of kept the nucleus of the team. And for me, that was the most important thing because some teams went early with their signings and some of the players would say, oh, who are we getting? They're getting X or Y. And I used to say to them, look, We've got 48-goal-a-season striker in our team. Next was on 20, next was on 15. And you go through the team and you go, if another team had signed seven or eight of our players, somebody yeah. else would go, wow, what a team. So yeah. for me, it was about keeping the players together. So when we kind of knew that we kept everyone, uh, which is fantastic, then it was a case of adding players. And we looked at players in our league, league above. Obviously, you get trial lists each year. Um, And we kind of had a few sort of trial sessions and games. And we slowly added people in over pre-season. And then we kept, I think, six. So we'd added a a backup goalkeeper, a couple of defenders, a couple of midfielders, uh, and a striker slash winger. So we kind of, I'd say, two in every area, uh, both in terms of cover and competition. And then over the season, it kind of, you you know, this it it, um, evolves. So the team that takes to the field on the first game of the season isn't the team that takes um, on the last day of the season. And mm-hmm. as long as that team is better, then you know you're moving in the right direction. And, and that's how we felt last year in terms of adding the five throughout the winter and then adding the six throughout the summer. And even now, you you look at the team and no disrespect to any bit it's been replaced. There's that evolution. So they've either got better or younger or better and younger. Um, and then you can see that, that development. So that's the kind of route that we're at. Um, Squad size is is key at this level, and that's one of the, the big differences. So, this time of year, as I said, with the walking wounded, probably four of our first choice midfielders are all out injured at the moment. We can't just go out and, and spend money, we haven't got a budget, we can't go out and spend money and bring in other players. But other teams that you see can, so that's that's the difference in terms of squad depth. Yeah, I think Tony Puglius once said that he worked at Battersea Dogs Home, he took in all the ones that nobody else wanted, or or, or um they could get them on the cheap and then try and develop them, make them better. And that, that's certain, as I said at the beginning, we, we give players a chance to play, yeah. express themselves, enjoy their football, and then go from there. And uh, a lot of the times it's down to the player if they it's yeah, a
0: it. lovely way of doing it, isn't it? I mean you know, because one obviously if you it, you if you get a reputation for it, then young players when they're thinking, you know, where do I want to go, I might have a couple of options. Well well, look at these guys, they've had three or four lads come in and now they're off playing at a higher standard. So it kind of gives you a bit of a draw and a, and a, a tap into the to the upcoming players coming around. And also, you know, where you've not got the budget that you, as some of the teams may may have around you, I know that there's some, you know, every every season someone will drop in from the Isthmian and they'll have budgets and, you know, it's, so it's a really tough one to step up out of. But... I'm guessing from your point of view really it's more about consolidation isn't it coming into the division for the first time in 125 years you you, you say and you just want to stay there now don't you so uh, how's that how's that working for you I've been I know I've been watching the uh, results but the season for you in your own words so far?
1: Enjoyable. Um, So one of the things I said at the beginning of the year is I I don't want to be looking at the bottom two places at all this season and and luckily we haven't. I think mathematically we're probably about there. Everybody would like another four or five points but it would take a a crumble on our behalf and some outstanding form from two or three teams in the bottom three to to get up there. So I think think we're probably about where we should be in, in terms of our ability. We've now We've now played everybody. It was a weird sort of thing at the beginning of the season where we've played some teams twice and some not at all. But um, I think playing Whitstable Saturday, we've now played everybody at least once. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're in the semi-final of the League Cup. And we got to the semi-final League Cup last year and we lost to to Sheffield, which isn't a bad thing because they won the quadruple last year. So um, we lost 2-1 at their place and and they beat us 5-2 at home. But we won the Luppert half-time at home. So we gave a a huge side of a huge following, a, a scare. I mean, at their place. I think had about six hundred there that night. It was uh, it was a great game, and last twenty minutes you wouldn't know which side was top of step five and which one was Austin, in step six. Yeah,
0: so. went. Uh, did Sheppy go up last
1: season? I think. Yeah, so they won the quadruple over hundred yeah. points, over hundred goals. Uh, they basically everybody in front of them just like walked over. So yeah. um, they they to to get as close as they did, and I mean the kind words. I mean we we lost two one at their place and. last 20 minutes we were the better side and they were the first to admit it and they kind of wanted it over and done with because it was a two-legged semi and they'd had a cup final on the Sunday still chasing the league with chat, and there was a lot going on so they really didn't want to have to bring their big guns to us on a Wednesday night Um, so so that was a good performance but yeah we're in a semi-final again we've got Fisher home and away who we've just played in the league Um, and then the winner of that gets the winner of the, the other semi-final be nice to finish comfortable in the league and at least get to cup final what, lovely a way, bonus, yeah. but...
0: what, what a lovely way to end the season wouldn't it be so how did you get on then with Fisher in the previous games
1: dare I ask uh, yeah so we lost 3-2 at home um, right. rec- recently it's only about two or three weeks ago I know AJ really well the uh... The uh, Fisher manager, he's, he's very yeah. good, and he's also got a reputation for developing players. So, yeah, um, it's one of those we scored two worldies and still lost three teams. It's a but, close game, yeah. though, isn't
0: it? So on the on the night, oh, yeah. you know, you, anything can happen, can't it? So that'll be one. Two
1: yeah, yes, yeah, it, it's, it's margins, and also as I said, it's a two-legged semi. This time, though, um, there's no away goals. So the previous time, although we were two-one down. Sheppie in the first leg, we won the left at half time in, in the second leg. So, if that to stayed the same after extra time, we could have gone through. But yeah. uh, Sheppey put the big big guns on and rolled us over. But right. it's going to be different with not having the away goal situation. So, we're going to have to travel to Bermondsey on a Tuesday night, which is, is fun. And they're going to have to come to us, which won't be fun for them. So, I think both home teams at home, as I said before, winning at home is key. Um, it'd be interesting to see. Who can, who can do something in the away fixture, I guess, is, is the way of doing it on a, on a midweek whenever he's been at work. And that's, yeah, again, absolutely. the difference between our, our level and the pro level.
0: Yeah, it really is. And it's It's very difficult to, it can be quite a frustration, I can imagine, when you've got certain players and, you know, they're on a, on a meeting up north or whatever and they can't get back for the game and it's a big game. But I guess that's all part of the... Uh, joys and challenges of of managing a, at that level as well, aren't, aren't they? It's a bit unique, really, to uh, maybe higher up where the players are. Con- so I think if you go up just one division, maybe, the majority of the players would be contracted, I, I would have thought, or at least half yeah. the squad, and then you've got them around. And and you know Joey's not going to twist his ankle playing for his mates on a Sunday um, You know, before you've got a game on the Wednesday and all of, all of those things, all those shenanigans that can happen. So rolling into the season and looking at it, I mean, you've come up, you say, you know, first time in 125 years. So it's a fantastic achievement. A good, enjoyable season, mid-table. I think you've got games in hand on a couple of the teams around you still. So you're in a very strong position there and a cup semi-final. So all in all, up to date, it's been a really positive uh, season and a half or so for you over there. Um, mm-hmm. so outside of the actual coaching side of things on we've, we were speaking about courses and things like that we, i've spoke to other coaches as well about ua for b i'm not sure what they call it now is it still ua for b or is it the level three yeah
1: so ua UEFA for b still there but the level two is now called the ua for c right okay so so,
0: every so go,
1: yeah so it's level one ua for c UEFA for b UEFA A, a international yeah. but I, I heard it on your previous podcast, and I'm going to say the same thing. They are like gold dust trying to get on yeah. those courses. It's yeah. a real shame. You look at other, I mean, I think Holland has more coaches per capita than anybody in the in, in the in the world. Um, and you look at things like the Ajax and, and the Netherlands teams and all that, and you think, well, that's why because they invest in their coaching infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, Belgium, Belgium, 20 years ago redid their DNA in terms of football, and 20 years later, you've got that golden generation of, of Belgian players and you think Belgians what the size of Birmingham and mm-hmm. they're, they're punching well above their weight Holland's mm-hmm. probably Manchester size and punching well above their weight but that's because they invest in the infrastructure around coaching and, and the environment for players to develop so we really need to get better at that than a yeah, country I agree. I agree. and it may be that I have to be a coach tourist um, I've, I've been looking at stuff in other countries yeah. um, because you've got more chance of, of getting a UEFA B if you go to a different country in Europe
0: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's something that's been opened up and a lot of people are, I know have been talking about it and doing it because, you know, you can get an easy jet, You can get to anywhere really, can't you, in Europe within two hours. And um, if it's a weekend or it's a week off work, so be it. And then you just do that in blocks, don't you? So it's definitely a way of doing it. I know there's other courses out there which aren't really through the FA, but more through academics. So there's football degrees and there's other things out there, yeah. as well, which hopefully will start to get recognised a bit more too.
1: Yeah, so one I would recommend is uh, UCFB. So it's a university football college, which is the university. There's one in Manchester and one at Wembley, and it's a football university. So if you go on the website, um, you can do anything in terms of football finance, chairman, uh, being an agent, the money, the tech, but also you can do coaching. Uh, and they've actually got uh, an option where you can do blended learning. So you can go in one day a week and, and do things physically, and then the rest of it is either online or you. You upload videos and and, uh, evidence of work that you've done Um, and it takes a little bit longer because you're not there five days a week. But Mm. obviously in this day and age, with working from home, et cetera. um, It it works out really well. So they've got a blended learning uh, degree.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, that's something for people maybe to look into if they're struggling to get ahead with the A4B. There's other opportunities out there to kind of continual professional development, as they call it.
1: Yeah, and also it's the equivalent of a B. And then when you go to do the Masters at level seven, it's the equivalent of an A. Oh, really? But again, there's other ways around it. It's a longer way of doing it, but you yeah. get a more holistic approach. You don't just get the course. They do uh, health and safety, nutrition, the laws around the game as well, um, international laws, the use of FIFA. I mean, we all, we all moan about FIFA in terms of corruption, et cetera, but mm. you need them so much for things like transfers. Uh, when you want to speak between different countries and, and things. Even like if you get a player that's played in, in Wales or, or Republic of Ireland and you want to sign them in the UK, FIFA have to get involved at some level. So it's knowing all those kind of things as well. So there's different things there's sports, science, fitness, the actual coaching, um, and then like the laws and the regulations, et cetera. So I could think of a few referees I might send on the course.
0: <laughs> oh, we'll keep that for now. yeah no names no names exactly right exactly right which is all i can do is say thanks so much for joining this week you've been a great guest it's been really insightful hearing about your background and bringing us up to date on what you've been doing since you were last on the cast um hopefully we can catch up at the end of the season and do a little review and see how the season finished for you and if there is a cup final i will definitely be there you could
1: come and do a live podcast uh, I would, from, yeah. From the there's there's one. Yeah. Quite just, just, just before we go, Mike, I want to thank you for inviting me on doing a cracking job with the podcast. And I just want to dedicate my interview today to uh, Arthur Tansley, who's the chairman of uh, Spring Hill United, one of the teams that I um, first coached in London, the Sunday league side. Arthur and his wife set up Spring Hill 30 years ago. And uh, found out this morning that he passed away. Um, and some of the players that that we've both coached and coached now came through at Spring Hill United so um, I just want to send my love and condolences to friends and family of Arthur Tansley
0: Thanks for saying that Tris and yeah that's the first I've heard of it but obviously all the condolences from myself and everyone at South Pod as well to Arthur and his family at this very sad time Yeah, thank you Well on that note we'll leave it there and we'll be back shortly with an update on next week's fixtures and last week's results. Thanks again to Tristan Cropley of Sutton Athletic, a great guest and I uh, really enjoyed our conversation. So let's have a review over the results from Kent County Division 1 West on Saturday the 18th of February. Danson nil, Club Langley 3. Equinocule three, Bexley one, Long Lane one, Sporting Club Thamesmead Reserves nil, Metro Gas six, Belvedere nil East Athletic two, Bright and Ropes Reserves five, Welling Park four, Crayford Arrows nil. So let's have a quick look at how I got on with my predictions from last week then. So uh, I had uh, Danson v Club Langley. I thought Danson would get something out of that. And I had that as a 2-1. But Club Langley's form has been excellent. And um, it's been well documented now. You know, they're very tight at the back. I don't think they've let a goal in now for six or seven games. So maybe that shouldn't have been such a surprise to me. But the result was incorrect on that one anyway. Um, Equinocle v Bexley. um, That result was 3-1 to Equinocle. Um, That was a big result for them. I mean, top of the league, Bexley, they hadn't lost the game for quite some time. Um, I had that as a 2-all. So, again, didn't get the result correct on that one. But um, certainly did expect Equinocle to be a good match for them. But but I must admit, they surpassed my expectations there with the win. Um, Long Lane v Sporting Club Thamesmead. I got the result right and it wasn't that far off. I had it as a goal, uh, a win by one goal to Long Lane at 3-2. And it was a tighter match in the end. Uh, finishing 1 0. Metro Gas v Belvedere. Uh, again, correct results. Uh, had that as a six, that was actually 6 0, rather. And I had that as a 3 1 to Metro Gas. So again, they've put in a really strong performance. Um, Southeast Athletic v Bryden. I didn't really speculate on the result there or the score, but I was hopeful of a win. And, you know, it proved to be the case on the day. So we're very pleased to pick up some points on that one. Uh, Welling Park v Crayford Arrows. I had a Welling Park win, but I did think it would be a a tighter affair. I had that as 2-1, but Welling Park went on with a very strong win there at 4-0. So let's have a look at how those results have affected the standings in this week's league table. First place still, Bexley played 18, 41 points. Second place, Welling Park played 19 on 40 points then Metrogas, Equinocchio FC, Club Langley, Long Lane, Sporting Club Thamesmead Reserves, Dance and Sports, Bride and Ropes Reserves, Crayford Arrows, Belvedere. And then in the two relegation places at the moment, 12th place, South East Athletic, 17 played, 3 points, and Crockenhill, 15 played and 2 points. So the race for promotion is really hotting up. Bexley dropping points there makes it really tight. Even from first place there, 18 played, 41 points. Welling Park have got one game more on 19 and a point behind on 40. But looking at third place, Metro Gas, 36 points from 16 games. So two uh, two games in hand over Bexley and three games on Welling Park. So if they take their games in hand there, they can go top of the league. you know, So they've definitely got a lot to play for. Um, Equinocular in fourth, um, I think out of the teams around them, they've probably got the least chance of pushing into it. But who knows? There's still six games to go for them. But they've played 18 on 34 points. So the other teams do have points and games on them. Club Langley, uh, excellent record continues. Um, I think they're undefeated now in their last uh, 11 or 12 games. And um, certainly got six or seven clean sheets. So they're definitely going really well. They've played just 14 games and 31 points. So so with their games in hand over Bexley, four games in hand there, that's 12 points. That handily would put them on 43 if they can keep their run going. So they're still well within contention there. So really exciting uh, division uh, end to look forward to with several teams all competing um, for those two promotion places. Um, at the other end of the table, South East Athletic and uh, Crockenhill were still in the bottom two positions. Um, South East Athletic appear to be running out of games, but they do still have two games in hand on Belvedere and they're still just four points behind. So mathematically, it's still in their hands to move past Belvedere. Um, Crockenhill have played 15 and are on two points. So they've got four games on Belvedere. And two games on Southeast Athletic. So their fate is firmly in their hands. But we would say, you know, at this time of the season now, it really is important for those guys to start converting some of these games in hand into points very quickly if they hope to get out of that. But I'm sure there's still going to be a twist or turn in there. And from a Brighton point of view, very pleasing to see, even though we have played more games, that the uh, four points that we've taken from the last two games have moved us up a position. So we're now up in ninth place and uh, we're just two points behind Dance and Sports. Again, they do have games in hand, but it's nice to see that the uh, results are getting us nearer the teams around us. So a really positive end to the season to come, I hope. So let's have a look now at the fixtures coming up for Saturday, the 25th of February. Belvedere versus and Ropes. Club Langley versus Metro Gas, Crayford Arrows. Versus Long Lane. Crockenhill versus Bexley. Equinocle FC versus Dance and Sports. And Sporting Club Thamesmead Reserves versus Southeast Athletic. So let's just have a quick run over those fixtures then. So Belvedere v and Ropes. Um, We're away to them. We've not been at their ground. Um, It's a new one to me. I think I've watched a match there a while ago. Um, It will be a tough game. I recall when we played them a few... um, just before Christmas, about two months ago now, um, it was a tough game. We did walk away with the three points on the day. Um, I thought we were ever so good and and good value for the win, but it was a difficult game. And with home advantage, you know, we're used to playing on a a nice 4G and it kind of suits our style of play. So a lot of that result will come down to how well we adapt to the playing surface and um, how well we can cope with their home advantage. But again, with the recent performances we've been doing, um, we're going there positive, and we're hoping to get some sort of result out of that game, but time will tell. Uh, Club Langley v Metrogas, a really big game. This, I mean, we've got the uh, two of the title contenders or, or promotion contenders for sure um, playing against each other. Really hard one to call. Club Langley, I guess you know, I doubted them last week against Danson, so maybe I should give them home advantage. Um, and we will go with a 2-1 victory to Club Langley. So I think they'll get the win, but I think Metrogas might just have a bit too much um, for them to keep that clean sheet record going. But let's have a look and see how that one pans out. Uh, Crayford-Arrows v Long Lane, um, another interesting one. I would say, looking at Crayford's recent forms, I'm not quite sure if they've had some players um, not being available or some changes there because they seem to be shipping in a, a few more goals than they were... Earlier in this season, um, Long Lane got a very good result last week against um, Sporting Club, Thamesmead Reserves, um, taking a 1-0 there. So I'm going to edge with Long Lane ever so slightly and go 2-1 Long Lane. Um, Crockenhill v Bexley. Um, Crockenhill at home, and actually their results do do spike quite a bit between home and away. They definitely play and perform a lot better on their home pitch. So I will go with a Bexley win there. I think Bexley will get back to winning ways. They know that they the teams around them aren't messing around now. So they really do need to keep that consistency and pick up points as much as they can now to the uh, to the end of the season. So I'll go 3-0 to Bexley for that one. And then Equinocle FC v Danson Sports. Again, Equinocle at home are, are a really tough team to break down. Um, I don't think Danson will get much out of that one. I'm going to go 3-0 to Equinochial. And then finally, we've got Sporting Club Thamesmead Reserves uh, versus Southeast East Athletic. Um, Sporting Club are another tough team. They're very experienced. They've got some good players and some um, experienced players around them there. And I think, unfortunately, on this one, I think the experience will just show through. South Athletic have got a really good squad. And when we played them, you know, they are really playing some really good football. But with the average age of their squad, I think this one might just be a step too far for them on the day. Um, And I'll go 3-1 to Sporting Club Thamesmead. Well, that brings an end to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening. And I do hope you'll join me next week. Until then, have a great week in football. Searching for players searching for clubs? Find players and clubs near you right now on arc. Playing football could never be easier. Download Matchhark on
1: Google Play or visit our website at matchhark.com. Truly a great match, arc
0: This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.